great to have all of you here today, whether you're on campus or joining us online. You are so welcome, and we're so grateful to have you here. We're continuing a series entitled This Is Us. We've been talking the last couple of weeks about things like only God and praying those prayers and being completely dependent on Him to, to work and to move in our church. And we looked at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 that begins with, Now to Him who is able... And we want to continue to pray those prayers and believe and trust God for things that only He can do. Many of you have our Only God cards in your Bibles and a place where you can see it every day. And I want to just encourage you to continue to pray for our churches. Two churches come together to form one new church, and this really is us. And last week we talked about purpose over preference, if you remember that one. If you weren't here, go back and, and listen to it. It's an important message as we talk about keeping the main thing the main thing, which is the gospel. And Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, specifically, by the power of the Holy Spirit within you, guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. And we talked about the fact that that good deposit is the gospel itself. And we want to keep that first in, in everything that we do, Jesus high and lifted up. And today we're going to continue this series by looking at the whole idea of being a community together and looking a little bit further at our shared purpose together. So I want to encourage you to turn in your scriptures to John chapter 13, and we're going to look specifically at verses 34 and 35. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. If you need a copy of the scriptures, let us know. We'd be glad to give you one. You can also find the scripture preloaded on our app and follow along there. Let me just make mention real quickly as you're turning there, this is a really exciting weekend in the life of our church. It's really a weekend of connection uh, because across all of our campuses, we've got our next step class happening during the 1030 hour. And if you missed it today, I want to encourage you to take advantage of it next month. It happens every month, the final weekend of the month. And it's the easiest way to get on a team or in a group and just take your next step here with us as, as a church. And then several times throughout the year, we offer something called group link. And it's a really unique setting where you can get to know different groups and find your people and get connected in biblical community. And it goes right along with the message today. It's a great application and way for you to step into community. So we've got a group link happening on our South Park campus and also uh, on our Matthews West campus. Our, we're having one Matthews location. It'll be at Matthews West at 630 tonight. So take advantage of that. We'd really love for you to, to jump in on that. And we've got several people as well this weekend in our church who are being baptized, who are making a public declaration of their new life in Jesus. Jesus, specifically at the Matthews West Campus. So just want to pass along my congratulations to you. And that never gets old, does it? Um, as we proclaim the new life of Jesus that, that we now have. Let's turn our attention to John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Let me, let me read it to you. A new commandment I give to you, Jesus says, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A very straightforward commandment that Jesus gives to his disciples, but I think you would agree with me, not an easy one to fulfill every day. I've got a dear friend with me this morning, Jeff Helton, on the stage. And Jeff is a, a friend, a consultant, uh, a pastor for 25 plus years. And Jeff has journeyed with our church as we're coming together and given expertise and insight and just been a, an incredible help to our church, also in the idea of community and what we're talking about today. And I, I wanted to have him here to add his voice to the discussion. So um, we'll get to you in just a second, Jeff. But let's go a little bit further in the passage in John 13 and draw your attention to that again, because Jesus is saying to his disciples in this setting that love, love is the distinguishing mark of Christ's followers. 
As we think about being a community together of Christ followers, love should be the thing that distinguishes that above everything else. And Jesus here in this passage builds upon the Mosaic command to love the Lord our God with our heart and our mind and our might. But he goes even further, doesn't he? He says, just as I have loved you. So now God has sent his very son incarnate with us to demonstrate his love right in front of us. And so Jesus says that you love one another now because you have been loved. Uh, Eugene Peterson said it this way in, in, in John chapter 1, verse 14 in the message. He said, uh, the word became flesh, Jesus himself, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus came and lived among us, demonstrating his love towards us. And whether you realize it or not, across all of our campuses today, God made the first move towards you. God loved you when you were running the other direction, giving him the Heisman. God loved you and stepped towards you into community. And in many ways, let me say it this way, God loved you by living with you. He came and lived among us to show us what love really is. And now he teaches his disciples here that that's the type of love that we're to have with one another. In my experience, people that know that they have been deeply loved, love deeply. Let me say it this way. Loved people, love people. And so it turns out that loving your beloved, your, your spouse, your, your children, your coworker, your boss, your neighbor, isn't just giving it the old college try or working a little bit harder. It turns out that loving those who are closest to you is actually knowing how much you have been loved yourself. And Jesus came and demonstrated that love to us. He came close. And now Jesus says here in this new commandment that the way we love one another, the way we demonstrate that love with each other in community is how all people, look at verse 35, John 13, is how all people will know that we are Christ followers. That's the power of this type of radical love for each other, a self-sacrificing love. I think you would agree with me that we live in a world that can be very loveless. And, and doesn't even know many times the definition of what true love is. And Jesus says, if you want to know what love is, look at my life. I came. I'm demonstrating what love really is. And then go and love one another in this way. And by that type of love with each other in community, all people will know that you are Christ followers. And whenever we come to a, a passage of scripture, it's always important for us to ask, what's going on here? What's the context of the passage? Context matters. And many of you know in this familiar passage in John 13 where Jesus gives this new commandment to love one another in the same way that we've been loved, the context of this passage is the last Passover meal that Jesus is celebrating with his disciples. And, and in this, Jesus is giving some incredible teaching and demonstrating again this love for his disciples. He does so, first of all, in, in chapter 13, by washing his disciples' feet. The greater context of this passage is Jesus taking a towel and a basin and washing the dirty, stinky feet of his disciples. And in a world that says leadership is to be a superstar, Jesus says, no, no, no. Leadership is to be a servant. It's to take a towel and a basin and to become the least. And what an incredible teaching to give his disciples and to model for each of us his disciples. 
And then he goes even further and he says, one of you among us is going to betray me. The one who I passed this morsel of bread to and he passes it to Judas and Judas storms out of the room. And out of that context, Jesus gives this new commandment with just his remaining 11 true disciples in the room, that community of Jesus followers. Jesus says, you are meant to love one another. That's how you've been wired up. And the world's going to know that you're mine in that type of love for each other. This is so important for us because before going to all the world, because that's coming, before Jesus says, go into all the world and do all of these things in my name, which is so important. But before we get there, before going to all the world and all the what of, 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 of what we're going to do on, on the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, there's the who we are. It's who you are before what you do. And in this series, This Is Us, we've been talking about that. We've been talking about our two churches coming together to form this new church. And over these final three weeks in the This Is Us series, we're going to hone in and concentrate on our shared purpose statement, which is simply this, to be a community of Christ followers, bringing gospel renewal to our city and to our world. In fact, it's up on the screens and, and across all of our campuses. Let's say it together, our shared purpose statement together as a new church. To be a community of Christ followers, bringing gospel renewal to our city and to our world. We worked very hard on this purpose statement to make it as simple as possible, but to answer three core questions. As we say it, as we look at it, as we're reminded of our, of our simple purpose, we wanted to answer these three questions. First of all, what we're talking about today, who we are. Who we are. We are a community of Christ followers. That's what differentiates us. We're not just an organization or a nonprofit. We are the church of Jesus Christ, a community that is on mission to follow after him. And what do we do out of that? We bring gospel renewal wherever we go. And that's the second thing we wanted to answer, what we do. We bring gospel renewal. And then thirdly, where do we do that? We do it in our city and we do it in our world. And that begins right here because after all, we're in the city and we do it right here first. We bring gospel renewal to one another. We remind each other of the gospel and we live out the gospel in this one another way. So very important that we wrap our, our heart around this purpose together that we now share. And I think you'll see in the purpose statement, and this was very intentional, that who comes before what, doesn't it? Because it always does with Jesus. We live in a world that says, what have you done for me lately? And then out of those things that you can do for me, then maybe I'll ask you about your character and who you are. But Jesus reverses all of that. And it's, it's demonstrated right here in John 13. It begins with who first, who you are, understanding who you are deep inside so that it can come out in all that you do. And the same thing has to be true for us as a church. It begins with who we are. We are a community of Christ followers and we have to be a healthy community on the inside, who we are, before we can even think about sharing and serving others well on the outside, what we do. Rick Warren said it this way, puppies, plants, and people that are healthy grow. So we don't have to just try, 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 try to grow. If we're healthy internally and in who we are, Jesus will build his church. That will happen. But we have to be internally healthy. Everybody watch this. We've got to be internally healthy so that we can be externally focused. They're not mutually exclusive from each other. Jesus gives both of them to his disciples. 
It begins with who and then what. It's like two engines on a, on a jetliner. you got to have them both firing. If you only have one engine firing on one wing, what happens? You just go around and around and around. But when you have both engines firing, now we're cooking. And something amazing happens. We want to be internally healthy and we want to be externally focused as a church. Because here's the deal, guys. You can't give away what you don't have. You can't bring gospel renewal to the city and the world if you don't have it yourself internally and who you are. The reality is, is that things can happen in an incredible way when we choose to live in community. So we want every person that calls our church home to experience this type of John 13 biblical community where you can be loved and where you can love. There are things that can happen in circles that cannot happen in rows. There are five different rooms that people are experiencing worshiping this morning across our church. And that's incredible. And we'll continue to do that every single week because there's unique things that happen as we gather together as one body in spirit and in truth and worship Jesus. And that's an amazing thing. But if it ends there, we're missing something. There's more. There's more than just rows. There's circles of living life together in community to know and to be known. The cry of every human heart is intimacy. And the definition of intimacy is to know and to be known. And groups are the best place for that to happen. And we just believe this as a church, that discipleship, growing in our relationship with Jesus, happens best in the context of community of circles of other believers, other Christ followers who can encourage each other and remind each other of who we are living out this new commandment and this new life with each other. So whether you're three years old or whether you're 93 years old, we want you to be in community, to be living out this new commandment with one another. And for us as a church, there are three marks of biblical community. If you're taking notes, maybe take a few notes on this. Three marks of biblical community for us. And there are three S's, very memorable. The first is a community for us that really lives out the principles of the scripture is a place where we're stirred by the scriptures, stirred by the truth of God where we can rally together around this incredible gift of God's word that he's given to each of us. And we can remind each other that it is indeed a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So it's a place where we can discuss the scriptures, where we can even sometimes debate the scriptures, but most importantly, that we can encourage each other in who we are in Jesus because of the truth that's been given to us. So biblical community, first and foremost, is a place where we're stirred by the scriptures, the truth of God. But here's the second thing. It's a place where we struggle well with life together. What does that mean? It means it's a place where we can connect with each other to be known and to know, but also where we can care for each other, we can pray for each other, and we can walk through this world that is up and down, isn't it? Jesus said, yes. Jesus said, in this world, you will have so much fun and nothing ever will happen that's bad for you and it'll just be all daisies and roses and then we'll go get ice cream. Is that what Jesus said? No. Jesus was very honest. Because this world's broken. This world's not operating as God intended it to. So Jesus said, in this world you will have what? You'll have trouble. But take heart because I've overcome the world. Struggling well with life together is reminding each other of this truth. And it's reminding each other that we don't have to walk alone. And may this be a church where no one walks alone. Because we weren't meant to live in isolation. 
we're meant to remind each other that yes, there's struggle in this world, but we can do it well. And we can have victory in Jesus and remind each other of that. But then thirdly, biblical community for us is not only a place where we're stirred by the scriptures and we struggle well with life together, but thirdly and finally, it's a place where we serve others in our city and in our world, but also one another. My goal, right? My goal is that our church, our church has uh, such a DNA of these three S's that in our children's ministry, in our student ministry, in our adult ministry, from three years old to 93 years old plus, that we're carrying this DNA of these three S's. And we're living this out in community with one another. Did you know that the, the national average, the national average for connection in churches from, from rows to circles is somewhere around 50%. What if we were 80 plus percent? What if we were 100 percent? Every single person that called this church their home lived this out in community with one another. A church where nobody has to walk alone. Wouldn't that be incredible? I love what Paul said, and you'll remember this in Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ to what? Who gives me strength. We love that verse. It's a wonderful verse. But do you know verse 14? Paul says in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But look at it, Philippians 4, verse 14. Paul says, yet it was really kind of you to share in my troubles. I know I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, what he calls me to. But it's really amazing to live in community with each other and to have brothers and sisters to walk through this world together with. That's what this means. And we want those three S's to be in every single group that is a part of our church and for each of us to take a step into that. Jeff, I know, because we're buddies, and I know this is your heartbeat. And as you work with churches all around the country and consult with them and you should talk about community, I would love for you just to add your voice to the importance of, of having community in church, but also taking the step into it and why that matters. You know, I, I, it's an honor to get to, to share some thoughts with you this morning. And I think when I see this movement of community, connection, let's, let's walk together, let's don't do it alone. So often what you hear from some folks will be the sense of, oh great, we're up in the ante again. The church wants something from me, right? You know, it's like, well, I don't want to do a group. Why do they want to get to the 80%, the 90%? Oh my goodness. I want you to hear no uncertain terms that, that when Chris or, or when anyone speaks about the value of community, the importance of community, it's not because there's something that we want from you, there's something we really want for you. You know, you think about it, we sit in rows all the time and we get more truth. I think that's really important. What if, like some of the persecuted churches, we no longer could sit in rows, we no longer could assemble like this? Y'all, what if we all lost our Bibles and we never could have another Bible? This, hypothetical for a second, hang on. The reality is we have enough truth that we could spend the rest of our life learning how to live in that truth. And the way we learn to live into that truth is when we gather in circles, is when we gather with others. You know, I think learning to do life together is a critical part of the Christian life. It's in the Bible over and over again, not just this passage in John 13, but it's why Paul has these 25 different one another passages. Love one another, serve one another, forgive with one another, pray with one another. It's just over and over again, do life together. We see Jesus, as Chris has said, living with the 12. Jesus pulling the three, even in closer and saying, I want you to know everything about you. me. I want to walk intimately with you for three years. That's why we see in the Old Testament over and over again, the children of Israel huddling up into smaller groups, not just this big one mass. Remember the story of Moses in Exodus where he's confused. How do I lead? How do I care for all these people? 
And of all people, his father-in-law shows up and says, hey, what if you put them in smaller communities where they really can care for each other, they can walk together? But for me, when I open the Bible and I, I realize my need for community, it's really rooted in Genesis 1 and 2. Think about God in this moment of creation. You know, every day it's like, it is good. Man, those animals, it's good. Wow, that vegetation, it's good. Wow, those oceans, it is good. And over and over again, like an old scratched LP, God is saying, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And you get to Genesis 2, 18, and this God who's declaring everything good, who's creating it all, says... It is not good. Y'all, I don't know about you, but my ears perk up. Wait, wait, God, you're doing it. You're making it good. What are you declaring is not good? Mm-hmm. I mean, you remember the passage, perhaps, it is not good for the man to be alone. We love to preach that passage about marriage, and, and rightly so. Eve has created its gorgeous beginning of this institution of marriage. But at the core of it, it's a, it's a human life principle. It is not good to walk alone. And then the trump card is, as I look at Genesis 126, where God in creation reminds us of this, let us make man in our image. Chris said it well, our triune God lives in community. And I'm kind of a simple guy. If God needs community, pretty sure I do too. I I believe we all need to find that place where we are known and where we know. We are loved and where we love. Where we are cared for and where we care. That's what makes a church distinct from just a big gathering. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, uh, Jeff is a pastor, um, works with churches all around the country now, lives in Nashville. And you may not know, but Jeff has journeyed with us the past uh, 18 months in bringing our two churches, New Charlotte Church at Charlotte, together to form this new church. And with Church at Charlotte, a little bit longer than that. And I would love for you, just while we have you, to share a little bit of your experience and your perspective, because this is a unique story of what's happening here. And I'd love for you to give your voice to it and just what you've seen, what you've experienced in this. So I'll tell you all the secrets and how the sausage was really made, right? No. It's been such an honor to journey. Even almost three years ago when I got the first phone call asking if we could come in and and do an assessment and understand what's going on in the church because for the previous 18 months, there was already some work with Jimmy going, hey, what's next for you? What's God doing in you? What will your transition look like? Mm -hmm. I knew at that point that this is a really healthy culture because they're not just waiting until the crisis happens. They're going, hey, how are we proactive in making sure this transition, when it comes, goes well? Y'all, this is an extraordinary story, and I have the privilege of sharing it with churches all across the country, but people want to hear it. Usually when my phone rings, it's a church calling saying, hey, we're dying, can you come help us revitalize? Or it's, hey, uh, our church has just gone through a split, and we don't know what to do, can you help us kind of get some steady ground? Or it's, hey, our senior pastor announced he's resigning in four weeks, what do we do? No plan. Or, unfortunately, at times it's, hey, our senior pastor has imploded, and, and we're having to let him go and help. So so when I get a call from this place and we start seeing, man, they want to do a healthy transition with Jimmy, I'm like, yay, God, this is exciting. Mm -hmm. But then to watch what would happen over the next 12 to 18 months and how this thing would begin to unfold and how suddenly there'd be these conversations that Jimmy and Chris were having and and then we'd be talking about bringing two healthy churches together, I thought, wow, this really is different. It's really common right now in our, our culture for larger churches to absorb some smaller churches that are in decline. We have a church in Nashville, and in the last three years, they've absorbed six other churches, and they're revitalizing them, and it's great. These churches are being able to survive. But this is so not this story. One of my favorite stories about this church happened in Nashville early last summer. 
uh, Jimmy and Chris and RJ, kind of the, the behind-the-scenes hero of this story as well, the three of them came over and we spent two days together. And y'all, I'm going to tell you what my agenda was. My agenda was, I'm going to stop this merger from happening. I felt like it was the best thing I could do. It's kind of how I do premarital counseling. If I can break a couple up, I'm really <laughs> serving them well, right? Because if I can break, that wasn't a slam on marriage. That didn't come out right. Let me start over. No, but if, if I can break them up in premarital, here's what I know. Life will have a way of breaking them up later. And so I thought, can, 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 we, can we find all these reasons why we couldn't do it? Came up with 21 different key areas that, that have to fit for this to happen. And so for two days, we wrestled through every one of these things. But the last third of, of the second day, I had all 21 items listed upon a whiteboard or a flip chart. And I said, all right, I've got a green marker, a yellow marker, and a red marker. Let's green light, yellow light, or red light these things. Let's, let's go through them, and I'm going to circle them. And, and folks, we walked through those 21 items. And at the end, there were 18 green lights and three yellow lights. Mm-hmm. And I thought, whoa, God, you're doing something. <laughs> Something's going to happen in this place. I don't know why, because I'm not used to seeing two healthy churches come together and say, hey, let's rally around our purpose to do more, to go faster, further, as you hear said around here all the time. And, and what a treat it's been to watch that happen. I'm asked often as I travel, Jeff, what's the secret sauce? How did that happen? And I can answer it in one word, rooted in this passage we're reading today about Jesus. And it's the word humility. Y'all in this room who've watched Jimmy Callum lead for you know six months or 40 plus years, the gift he gave on Jan- in early January to Chris was the perfect gift. That, that statue, if you please, of, of bronze hands opened up, mm-hmm. missing his pinky ring, which I want to talk to him about, but that's another story. <laughs> but but as, as he gave that, I thought, that's such a beautiful picture of a guy who, out of humility, said, I, I don't have anything to hold on to here. Y'all, we live in a culture of narcissistic senior pastors, if you haven't noticed. Mm-hmm. And, and to have a guy that's saying, man, I, I want to walk in humility, that's beautiful. But then to be able to pass it to a guy who's saying, I, I want to lead with that same kind of humility, that's Chris's track record as well. I think that's the quote-unquote secret sauce. Combined with two elder boards who came together and said, we want to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. God, if you're not in this, kill it. Yeah. And God, if you're in it, grow it. Mm-hmm. And what we've seen is that, that God has really grown it. Mm-hmm. Y'all, it's not been a perfect process, okay? I'm not selling you something this morning. It hasn't been. But it has been an authentic process. It's been transparent. It's been vulnerable. And God has done some great things as these two churches have navigated together to say, now, Lord, what do you want to do in this next chapter? Jeff, you, you work with churches and, and with folks who are experiencing change in their life, not just in the church, but in yeah. um, marriage situations, all kinds of things, because life is change. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're in a season of change. Talk about that. You know, just, just um, how do we handle change? A lot of, a lot of us don't naturally like change. Um, how do we process that well? Yeah. Well, well for m- many people, the way they process change is they take their toys and go home, right? I mean, it's like, oh, I don't like that. L- let me ask a quick question. This is just fun to do. Show of hands. Okay, so just for a second. Show of hands. How many of you love and thrive on change? Don't be ashamed. <laughs> oh, this is the most we've had. We've got like 15 yeah. in here. Wow. Yeah, th- th- that's kind of the, the truth. And I-, I had a lady say to me last night, ask the question differently. So I'm going to do that. How many of you love and thrive on change that you control. Come on. <laughs> yeah. See, that's the truth. We're control freaks, aren't we? You know, I'm good with changes if it's my change. Mm. But if you want me to change, whew, time out. Don't like that too much, right? 
I, I think when we come to the space of change, we, we have to realize that we, we, we really are scared often in times of change. We're afraid. William Bridges has written tons on change through the years. His book, Managing Transition, is kind of a classic textbook you have to read at some point if you have to go through any kind of transition or change. And Bridges says there's these three things that are going on in, in the midst of change, like where you are right now. One, there's the certainty of the past. Well, I know how we've always done it. I know how we're supposed to do it. That's a voice we have. Secondly, there's this, there's this hope for the future. Wow, Wonder what God's up to here. Isn't this cool? I, I can't wait to see what might happen. But where we are is, this, is, is in this ambiguity of the present. I'm kind of, uh, wait, but, but, but it's going to, ch- what does that mean it's going to change? Oh, but, but it's going to be, I don't know, what's it going to be? And we sit in this place of going, oh, no. And I think that's the place fear metastasizes. And we get afraid because we don't know. But y'all, isn't that true everywhere in life? Do you really know what you're doing tomorrow? I mean, really? I mean, I've got a day planned out on my calendar. But what could happen between now and then? You know, when we think about change, change is painful. And I'm living it personally right now in a very real way. We have four children, and our oldest is married, has these two beautiful grandbabies, and the two-and-a-half-year-old adores her papa. And they live 20 minutes from us. And so when we're together, we just, I, I love it. And my favorite son, Josh, who has those two kids, is moving to the bottom of the barrel right now because he recently announced that he and not his children, but my grandchildren are moving to Fort Collins, Colorado. Y'all, that's a little further than 20 minutes from Nashville. And I'm in this place of change where I can remember how awesome the past is and I know what my plans were for the future, but the ambiguity of what you're doing what to me has rocked my world a little. We have it in millions of places, don't we? Mm-hmm. And so in the midst of this kind of change for, for these two churches that are coming together and they started with this new church, I think there's an invitation to all of us. And it's the invitation to grieve. Can I give you the permission to do that? Y'all, there will be some changes that are inevitably going to happen that, that will cause a sense of, oh, wow, that's not the way it used to be. I felt it being here the first Sunday of this month when I watched Jimmy and Chris up on this stage and I just thought, man, that's a 42-year tenure that's coming to an end. Oh, that's sad. And it's good. It's part of what happens in life. Change is normative. See, there's something amazing that happens when we learn to grieve not only the past, but we grieve, ooh, it won't be that way in the future. Things are going to be different in the future. When we learn to grieve and and open up our hands, that's what grieving is to me. It's opening my hands and saying, it's not my agenda. I don't have to control it. But Lord, whatever you have, I accept. When we learn to grieve like that, you know what happens? God makes space in our hearts to receive something new. Something new. And y'all, God is always doing a new thing. He's always the God of the future. He's always saying, I want to take you to something more that I have for you. And I'm convinced that if we don't grieve the past well, we can't embrace the future. That's the invitation, I think, to, to, to these two communities of faith that have come together. Is God, how do I whew, take a big breath, relax, and say, Lord, what are you up to? I'll follow you as we walk this new journey out together. That's what happens in the midst of change. Mm-hmm. I love um, what Jeff says about, and I've heard you say it multiple times, mm-hmm. that grief really is the, the process of preparing your heart for new. 
for, for, for what's to come and what God wants to do. Um, if I could just press a little bit more. Sure. We got a few minutes. What happens when something changes that we don't like <laughs> and we get frustrated yeah. and we get, the reality is we get hurt. Yeah. And talk to us a little bit about just experientially, how do you handle that well? Even in my own story, you know, I was a pastor. I was at this great church, and God was doing awesome things in it. We were experiencing growth. People were coming to Christ. And then we went through a little bit of a leadership change in how we were structuring some things. And I began to realize, oh, wait, this doesn't fit for me. I will often say, I felt like I was a part of this great football team. And kind of overnight, the elder said, hey, we're not going to play football. We're going to play baseball now. And suddenly, I was the guy standing in right field with shoulder pads and a helmet on. I, I didn't fit, you know? Hmm. And the change wasn't bad. It's an awesome change. It's one of my favorite churches. I did a men's retreat for them on Friday night and Saturday morning this weekend, but I haven't worked there for nine years. And when I left, there was a part of me that was hurt going, wait, why are you changing things? I've got my role here. I've got my place. I'm a pastor. Don't change things. And I felt victimized by him, right? But God in his kindness brought me to a place to be able to go, no, God, you're just doing something different here, and it's time for me to do something different. That's okay. And I was able, and I'm grateful to God for this, to, to transition out of there really well and re keep a great friendship, but just knowing they're going to the left, I'm going to the right, but we're all going to heaven. Cheesy, but right? It really is the sense of going, it's okay if we walk a different road. Sometimes in change, we really mess it up because we think we have all the knowledge and all the understanding, and our way is the right way. When you get to that place, would you just call a timeout? And can I ask you to do one of two things? Number one, Start talking about what you're experiencing without gossiping about it. You know the difference, right? Gossiping is when you turn to other people and you say, I just need to let you know what's going on and how much I don't like it. Hmm. Or said differently, gossiping is when we share prayer requests, right? That's what we Christians do. <laughs> I just want you all to pray for Brother Chris. He's an idiot. I mean, you know, it's like we do that kind of stuff. Y'all, that ain't right, right? But talk about it to people who can do something about it, yeah. who can give you an answer, who can walk with you, who can help bring understanding. And in most situations, I think what happens is we pause and we go, oh, thank you, I just didn't understand. Mm -hmm. Secondly, sometimes we hear it and we go, oh, I still don't understand and it, it doesn't feel right for me, kind of like what happened to me in 2010. Y'all, in those places, I, I hope and pray nobody gets that place. I'd love to come back in three years, and the story is, man, we merged these two churches, and nobody left, and everybody's happy, and they're eating ice cream. You know, that's what I'd love to see happen. It'd be awesome. But the reality is, some of us will probably need to transition at some point. It, it just happens. It's life. Hmm. If you do, do it in a way that honors God. One of my greatest sorrows as a pastor was seeing people leave our church, and that wasn't the sorrow. I just knew there was a reason they needed to. But then bumping to them in the grocery store and watching them dart down the dog food aisle, and I know they don't have a dog, y'all. <laughs> we know that about you, okay? But it really was that sense of, I don't want to see him. And I'm thinking, wait, I still love Jesus. You still love Jesus? We're at different churches. It's okay. Y'all, I think sometimes we forget that the place that we've been matters. You've been here, and, and should God invite you to go do something different in the future, don't leave here with a sense of, I'm angry. Leave here with a sense of gratitude. One of the best things you'll do for your soul if you ever have to leave a church anywhere is to go to leadership and say, hey, I want to tell you two things. Number one, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hmm. God has used the ministry of this church to grow me, to grow my kids, 
to help me understand more about Christ. And secondly, it's a season for change for us. And so I, I want to say goodbye, but I want to see you in the grocery store and actually talk to you. This is really what Paul says in Romans 12. He says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, do everything that you can do to live at peace. So in times of change, ask questions. Find out what's going on, and most times your soul will be like, ah. And if it doesn't, honor God in whatever decision you have to make. That's my strong encouragement to you. Because the world's watching you. The city's watching you. And I want it to be a story, just like John 13, when they go, Wow, the way you love each other, even when you disagree, it tells me about this greatness of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Don't you want that? Yeah. Yeah. Don't you want that? Mm -hmm. This is the time you say, yeah. Don't you want that? Yeah. I think at the core of who we are, we really do want that kind of unity. Sorry. Now, we're wrapping up here, but um, first of all, thank you. Mm. Thank you so much Mm. for being here, and thank you for journeying with us in this past season. Jeff has played a pivotal role, Mm. and God's really used him in a great way to bring our two churches together. Um, and I think everything that, that you've been talking about this morning, as I listen to you, obviously it's really helpful for us as a church, but really helpful in so many other areas of life as well. And I hope it'll be very applicable in so many situations and circumstances that no doubt so many of you are facing right now. 30 seconds on this one, final, final thing. Ah, okay. Preacher 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. What's the most important thing for us now? Yeah. I read a blog a couple weeks ago, and I can't get it out of my mind. The, the three words that this lady shared, and I think they are so perfect for, for you this morning. Number one, breathe. And this next season, just take a big breath sometimes. And in that breath, that breath that God allows you to breathe in, the one who created all things, just remind yourself, you're in control. Sovereignly in control. Sometimes we get so worked up and anxiety-ridden that we forgot to just go... Oh, yeah, you're the air I breathe. Breathe. Secondly, grieve. Grieve. To realize, Lord, it's not going to be the way it was, and it may not be the way I'm thinking it's supposed to be. And I open my hands and say, I trust you to do something. Breathe, grieve, and thirdly, receive. That's the opening up your hands and saying, I trust you to do something. God is not bringing two institutions together just so it's a cooler name or it's a cooler building or or it's a cooler thing or there's more people. Uh Uh-uh, uh-uh. When when God does something like he's doing here, it's because he's wanting you as an individual to receive something. He wants to do something in your life. He wants to encourage. He wants to stretch. He wants to challenge. He wants to confront. There's work that God's going to do in this next season that y'all, Chris, RJ, elders, no one even has a clue about because God's up to something. And if your posture could be, Lord, my hands are open. I'm going to receive what you want to do for me, in me, through me. Breathe. Grieve. Receive for the glory of God in this next season. So this is us. This is us, a community of Christ followers, bringing gospel renewal to our city and world. And it, it begins with, with who we are and loving one another in this way. Because bottom line today, it's who first and then what? Mm-hmm. Who first and then what? I'm going to pray for us, Jeff. I'd be honored to. Let's pray together. Father, if we had thousands of years together, we would never be able to express adequately how great your love is. Your love that knows no boundary, your love that knows no end, your love that captures us in our ugliest moments, your love that 
walks with us in our greatest moments. Thank you, God, that you have loved us perfectly. That you loved us so much you moved into the neighborhood and you showed us that we have to do life together. Father, thank you so much that we have the privilege of spending our lives responding to that great love. Responding in gratitude to say thank you. Responding in connection to walk well together. Father, out of your great love for us and out of whatever it is that you're up to in Charlotte with these two churches that are now one, Father, I pray for men and women in this body that they would walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they've been called. May they walk with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the very bond of peace. The world's watching, Father. And may we live in such a way that as they watch, they know that we are your disciples. They learn of your great love. And for many men and women in this community, may they come to a saving knowledge of your Son in the near future. So, Father, now, to you, our great God, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to your power that's at work within us, to you, great God, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever and ever, till we see you face to face. Amen and amen. Amen.